Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. When people trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, God becomes their Heavenly Father, and they become His children. Now that raises a whole number of questions. As a father, how does God treat His children? Well, I can think of a number of things just off the top of my head. God blesses His children. But what are the blessings? God disciplines his children. But what specifically is involved in divine discipline? God judges his children. But does he get angry when he judges his children? Does he punish his children in this life? Does he judge his children in the next life? All of his children must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But what exactly is involved in appearing before the judgment seat of Christ? God rewards his children. What are the rewards? Will sin be an issue at the judgment seat of Christ? Is the judgment seat of Christ solely a rewards banquet? Or is it a judgment that results in punishment? To answer all of those questions, several biblical concepts must be examined, such as God's discipline, God's anger, uh, being an overcomer, the judgment seat of Christ, inheriting the kingdom, and being cast into outer darkness, and there are other issues. Now, As I've gone through the Bible, expounding one passage after the other, I've dealt with each of those subjects. What I have never done is put them all together. So that's what I would like to do. Now, if I do that all in one message, you will get out sometime for lunch next Sunday. So what I'm going to do is put all of this in a series of messages I'm going to call, How Does God Treat His Children? What I just brought up is sort of the introduction to that whole series. It's going to take that to answer all the questions I just raised. But one by one, Lord willing, I'm going to answer each of those and much, much more. So where do we start? Well, I'm going to tell you where we're going to start up front. That God, as the father of his children, blesses them. I think we could talk about uh, human fathers. Uh, What kind of father is a human father? Well, some of them are adorable. There's the absentee father, and there is the abusive father, God the Father is none of that. So erase from your mind all negative images you have of fatherhood based on human fathers. And go back and paint a picture of God the Father. And if you do, I think it has to start with the fact that God blesses his children. Now, what does that mean? What does it look like? What are the blessings? Well, let's see if we can explore this. From the very beginning, God has practiced blessing his children. Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. My wife accuses me that when somebody asks a question, I go back to the garden. I'm not sure that's always legitimate, but sweetheart, this time it is. Go back to the garden. God created Adam, and he blessed him. He gave him a garden, told him he could eat every tree he saw except one. I would consider that an enormous blessing. 
Then, on top of that, he gave him a wife. That reminds me of a joke. (laughs) The Bible says God created light and saw that it was good. God created land and saw that it was good. God created vegetation and said, that's good. God created the sun and said, that's good. The moon and the stars, that's good. The fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and he said, that's good. Animals that roam on the land, and he said, that's good. And then he created man, and he said, I can do better, (laughs) and created woman. And all the women said, Amen. Now the point I want to make is God blessed Adam. And that's only the beginning. The next major figure in the Bible is Noah. And the first thing we're told in Genesis 6-8 is Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. I think it is deeply significant that the Bible begins by saying that Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. You, if you don't understand the concept of grace in the Bible, you don't understand the Bible. If you do not understand the concept of grace, you do not understand the God of the Bible. He is a gracious God, which simply means it's unmerited favor. He does us favors we don't earn or even, for that matter, merit. That's the kind of God he is. He wants to bless. So he blessed Noah. One of his blessings, I think, is that he allowed Noah to preach for 120 years. Now, to somebody who loves to preach, that's a blessing. I get to preach for 120 years. I'm not even halfway there yet, but I'm working on it. And I'd love to preach for 120 years. That's a blessing. Not only that, God chose him to build the boat. What's so significant about that? Well, it's the only boat that's going to float. That's what's significant about that. And then he uses Noah to save his family, to warn the world. God, that's a blessing. Then the next major figure you encounter in the Bible is Abraham. That story starts out in Genesis chapter 12. The first three verses of that chapter are some of the most significant verses in all of the Bible. It's been called the seed plot of the Bible. That in those verses, God says to Abraham, I will bless you, and I want you to be a blessing. Now let me just tell you the enormous blessings that God gave to Abraham. For one thing, he said, I'm going to make your name great. The name Abraham might just be the greatest name in the earth. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all have the highest regards for Abraham. Now, it doesn't get any greater than that. You name anybody else, and somebody's going to have something negative to say about it, but not Abraham. God fulfilled that promise. He made his name great. He said, I'm going to give you the land, the promised land, the land of Palestine. And he said, I'm going to give you more descendants than the stars in the heaven that you can see. Innumerable descendants. A veiled reference to the fact that out of Abraham is going to become the Messiah who will bless the world. Did God bless Abraham? Or what? Matter of fact, one scholar has written a commentary on the book of Genesis, and he calls it blessing. That the first book of the Bible is filled with blessing. Well, then just keep trucking. God finds his children down in Egypt, and he blesses them by delivering them from Egypt. He wants to take them to the land he promised their forefathers, and he provides for them all along the way, even when they were disobeying him in rebellion. God blessed them and provided for them. Then he comes to David, and David gets a blessing, an enormous blessing. He promises David a kingdom, an eternal kingdom, through David and in one of his descendants, who obviously 
is the son of David, Jesus Christ. But he blessed David with that. David had a son named Solomon. And Solomon could ask for anything he wanted. And in his wisdom, he asked for wisdom. And God gave it to him. And so Solomon is the one who ends up writing the book of Proverbs of all things. I'm simply saying the Bible from beginning to end teaches us that God blesses his children. What about the New Testament? Oh, wow. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the name of the God and our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. The minute you trust Christ and you are in him, God says, I have given you all spiritual blessings that I can possibly give. As many have pointed out, in the Old Testament, God blessed them materially, giving them the land. And if they obeyed the Lord, prosperity in the land. In the New Testament, the blessing is not as material as it is spiritual. He provides for us, granted, but the main thing he wants to bless us with are spiritual blessings, and that's what Ephesians 1.3 says. Colossians 2.10 says, you are complete in him. You have everything you need to live a spiritual life. Matter of fact, I've just scratched the surface. One theologian, uh, Dr. Lewis Berry Chafer, the founder of Dallas Seminary, wrote a seven-volume set of books on theology, and in one of those volumes he says, the minute you trust Christ, 33 things happen to you. You're blessed. Now, you may not be aware of it. You may not think about it. And that's why I'm preaching this sermon. You need to know about the fact that if you have trusted Jesus Christ, God has already blessed you. That's the way he works. It's his M.O. And he's done it from Adam to us. Mm -hmm. All right. I keep saying he blessed us. What does that look like? And what does that mean? And what do we do with that? I got all kinds of questions about that. So what I want to do with the rest of the time is look at three passages of Scripture that talk about the blessings that we have and well, how we should respond to it. So will you turn with me to Romans chapter 6? Romans chapter 6. I could easily spend the whole time on this. But let me just say that back in chapter 5, he says in verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Having been justified by faith, that's what I keep saying. The minute you trust Christ, you are what? Justified. Now that's a big 50-cent word. Let's exchange it for a couple of nickel words. What does justified mean? Well, the word justify means to declare righteous. The Bible teaches that we are sinners and that Jesus Christ died for our sin. When we trust him, he gets our sin and we get his righteousness. That's justification. Matter of fact, there is a verse that says it. First, 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin Jesus, became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that great? He's righteous, we're sinners, he gets our sin, we get his righteousness. Wow! Talk about a blessing. My sins are forgiven simply by faith in Jesus Christ. You trust Christ? all wiped out. Imagine going to court, being charged with a serious crime. And the prosecuting attorney says, Your Honor, we have to drop the case. And the judge says, Why? He's committed some serious stuff. Says, We've lost all the evidence. It's been wiped out. <laughs> That's what the cross of Christ does. It wipes it out. Amen. So we are justified 
by faith in Jesus Christ. And consequently, we have peace with God. Are you counting these blessings? I'm going to ask you the total number when we get done. All right, let's look at Romans 6. This goes on and explains more. He says, shall we continue in sin uh, that grace may abound? Of course not, verse 2. But I want you to look at uh, verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. I want you to focus on one word, united. You see that word? That's the blessing. One of the things that happens to you when you trust Christ is you get united to Christ. You are bound to him. You see that word? United. You're united to his death, and you're united to his resurrection. It's just as if you died and just as if you were resurrected in the mind of God. So, that being the case, he says in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That is, when we trusted Christ, we're united with Christ, and that old man, that is simply the person I used to be, died. And I am now united to Jesus Christ. He says in this verse, verse 6, knowing that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin may be done away, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So it's gone. It's done. I've been freed from it, verse 7. Let me illustrate. I was single. And I said, I do. And now I am bound to Patricia. Right? So my old man died. The single life died. I'm no longer single. So I'm now going to live, the passage says, a new kind of life. I'm now going to live a married life with Patricia. That's what this amounts to. So according to the Bible, before we came to Christ, we were alone, alienated from God, separated from God. And the minute we trust Christ, we're united to Jesus Christ, and we now live a new life. We now have a new life, a spiritual life. So, he goes on to say, we're no longer obligated to live like we used to, though we may. You know, you could, but you shouldn't, because you've been freed from that. And that's the point of the verses I read a minute ago. And he talks about slavery. So when I was a slave, the slave owner could tell me what to do and I had to do it, my sinful nature. And what he's teaching in this passage is, I've been freed from slavery. So now the old slave owner has no more right to tell me what to do. I don't have to obey that. I have a new master. I just told you the illustration's marriage. I have a new master. Some of them got it. (laughs) Am I coming through? Am I making sense? Are you blessed? Did God bless you? If you understand what you have in Christ, you have to say amen. All right, now what do I do with that? Well, as many, many people have pointed out, and I'm not going to take the time to go through all the details, this passage is saying there are three things you should do. Verse 6 says, knowing. The first thing is you got to know your position, your new position in Christ. You need to know that. Then he says in verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And he says in this passage, we should reckon that to be so. In other words, I need to know it and I need to believe it. Or to use the word he uses, reckon. I deposit $500 in my checking account, and I then reckon I can spend it. So I'm united to Jesus Christ. I'm united to his death, which means my old life has died. I've been united to his resurrection, which means I can now live a new life. I just need to believe that, and I need to reckon on that. I need to think like that. I'm not the person I used to be. Not the person 
I'm going to be, but I'm not the person I used to be. All right, so you need to know it. You need to reckon it to be so. And the final thing he says in this passage is, well, look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, that your members are instruments of righteousness to God. So the third thing he says is just use your body to not sin anymore, but to do what God wants you to do, to live a righteous life instead of a sinful life. So he is simply saying, know that you have a new position in Christ, reckon on that, and then just present your bodies. Lord, I'm going to let you use my mouth. I used it for long enough. I'm going to let you use my mind. I mean, I sure filled it with garbage long enough. How about flushing all that and put some good stuff in there? That's the members he's talking about, the members of your body. Use them for the Lord. Use your hands, your feet, your heart. Use yourself for the Lord. Now, if you did all of that, are you blessed? Then should you respond like that? Okay then what's the result of that? More blessing. Then verse verse 14 says, uh, I mean verse 13 says, you become an instrument of righteousness. So you begin to live a righteous life that honors the Lord. Matter of fact, don't try to do this without the Lord. Look at verse 14. In verse 14 he says, for we do not Do not let sin have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. God, don't do this without grace. The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace, that you might find mercy and grace to help in time of need. So anytime you're confronted with a situation of whether to do right or wrong, and you're struggling with it, you say, Lord, I need help now. And he gives you the grace to do what you are supposed to do. And you end up with practical righteousness. Now hang on for a second. I started Romans by saying, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So we are justified by faith, and I said that meant you are declared righteous. That's who you are in the sight of God. You're declared righteous. Now I'm saying... If you start living by grace, you will have practical righteousness. And that's another blessing. It's blessing on top of blessing. So I'm declared righteous, and now I can practice righteousness by the grace of God. All right, that's one passage. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I have recently gone through this book verse by verse. And let me just tell you, it is one of the richest books in all of the Bible. As I mentioned earlier, verse 3 says, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Now what does that mean? Well, Verses 3 through 14 are one sentence in the Greek text. Longest sentence in the Bible. And that long sentence can be divided into three parts. It's blessing we get from God the Father, blessings we get from God the Son, and blessings we get from God the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, The blessings we get from God the Father are predestination and election. The blessings we get from God the Son are redemption and revelation. And the blessings we get from the Holy Spirit is we are sealed and He is the inheritance of what we have to come to look forward to. So that's just a partial list of the blessings. Do you understand? 
I've been chosen by God. That's what this passage teaches. God chose me. Now, why in the world he did that, I don't know. And I had to believe when I heard the message. It's both of those things are true. And I can't explain them. But I can just tell you this passage says, I'm chosen. You know what that means? I'm going to give it to you real straight. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, in the eyes of God, you are special. Isn't that great? You think of yourself as special? Well, spiritually, you ought to. Now, if you get too far away from that, it gets to be a problem. But if you've trusted Christ, you're chosen. You're forgiven. That's what the passage says. Matter of fact, he says in verse 5, having predestinated us to adoption of sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory by which he hath made us acceptable in the beloved. In him you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I'm forgiven. I'm declared righteous. I didn't do anything to deserve that or earn it. I just understood Jesus died for me and I trusted him and I got the blessing. Does this excite your soul? It should. I'm forgiven. People are running around with all kinds of psychological problems because of guilt. Not as many as there used to be. Think about that one. But I'm telling you, God blesses us. And these are just some of the things with which he blesses us. Now, how are we to respond? Well, I recently went through that in great detail, but let me just refresh your memory. Turn to chapter 3 and look at verse 1. I'm sorry, verse four, chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. As I pointed out, this is the hinge verse in the book. In chapters 1 to 3, he's talking about our calling to be united to Christ and united to each other in the body of Christ called the church. And now he says, walk worthy of that calling. So what does a worthy walk look like? Well, that's what he explains in the next two chapters. Actually, in the next three. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, he goes on to talk about unity. A worthy walk is that we walk in unity with one another. And he discusses the fact that even though there is diversity, we walk in unity. So we are unified because we have the same Savior, and we are diversified because we have different spiritual gifts. Uh, I don't think I have to talk a lot about diversi- diversity in this congregation. Uh, we, have, we have everything in this congregation, and I love it. I love it. This is a foretaste of heaven, folks, so get used to it. Right? You know what that means? You're supposed to love me. You know what that means? I'm supposed to love you. You you may not be like me, but I'm supposed to love you anyway. That's why he put us all in the same body. Amen? Amen. So there's unity in the midst of diversity. That's the point of Ephesians 4, the first 16 verses. Then in verses 17 to the end of the chapter, actually, He talks about the fact that we are to walk in righteousness. And he lists things like don't steal anymore, but work with your hands so you can have to give. Don't lie, but speak the truth. Don't be bitter and angry. Uh, Be forgiving. Uh, All those are under the classification of righteousness. So you want to walk worthy? Then live a righteous life. That's the point. In chapter 5, the first seven verses, he says walk in love. In 8 through 14, he says... Walk in light. In verses 17 to 21, he says, walk in wisdom. So, in Ephesians, it's walk, 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 walk. But that means live, 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 live. Walk is a metaphor for live. Go to the end of the chapter. Go to the end of the book. What's the last thing he says in the book? 
What's the last thing he says? What's the word? First word, last verse. Is that not interesting? Grace to you. Who's he talking to? Christians or non-Christians? Talking to believers, right? And he says, grace to you who are believers? I thought we got saved by grace. We did. But you live by grace. So he says, walk, 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 walk. But you've got to have grace. And what did he say in Romans? Put off, put on. And you're not under law, but you're under? There it is again. Grace. So what he's saying is, you've been blessed, now live like it. By grace. By grace. By grace. So what happens if you do that? What do you, what do you get for walking like that, living like that? Well, I just told you. You get unity. You get righteousness. We talked about that in Romans. And on top of that, you get love, light, and wisdom. Let me ask you a question. How would you like to live a life of righteousness on one hand and love on the other and wisdom in the middle? Does that sound like a blessed life? That's what's available to those who've trusted Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is all about. I know others have made it about all kinds of other things rituals and all kinds of stupid stuff. You don't have to light candles. You don't have to do any of that stuff. What do you need to do? Walk by grace and start worrying about living a loving life and living a wise life. Do you know how stupid people are? If you don't have any idea, then go, go see a policeman and buy him a cup of coffee and a donut. All policemen love donuts. And ask him to tell you about the human race. And if that doesn't do, go find a divorce attorney. He'll tell you about the human race. And if that doesn't really do the job, come talk to me. Right? So that's the human race. They are just plain stupid. I read an article yesterday of people who've won the lottery. I mean millions of dollars and ended up broke. They didn't end up broke. One of them ended up owing the government hundreds of thousands of dollars. One of them worked at McDonald's, won the lottery, squandered all the money, and ended up working at McDonald's. (laughs) One of them was a garbage collector, wasted all the money, and hoped he could get his old job back. People are just plain stupid. Some of you are shaking your head. Am I telling the truth? So how do you get wisdom? You walk with the Lord. Let me just tell you something, folks. You want some wisdom? I got a book full of it. This is time-tested stuff. This is still the bestseller. Right? I hate to say it like this. But even if there is no God, this book's full of wisdom. Amen? Amen. Now let me tell you the truth. It's full of wisdom, and if you really understand it, you get the grace to implement the wisdom. So what I'm telling you is, this is the way God treats his children. He blesses them. If they do what he says, he blesses them on top of blessing. He's about blessing. It's back in Genesis 12. I will bless you because I want you to bless other people. Amen? Amen. I promised you three books. I got one more. Go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Talk about rich stuff. 2 Peter. And look at verse 3. Well, start at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain 
to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Did you see what that verse is saying? You have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need to live life to the full you have in Jesus Christ. Everything you need to live a godly life, righteousness and love, you have in Jesus Christ. All things. Focus on the all things. You've been given everything you need to make the trip. So imagine taking a trip in your car. What do you need? Well, some snacks. It gets real boring between stops. You need... uh, Luggage, games for the kids to play so they'll get off your back, you know. And then you take off and you forgot something. The games for the kids, oh no. They don't have their iPhones to play with. But you see, this is a trip where everything you need is packed. The minute you trust Christ, you've got everything you need to live life. Everybody's out there looking for life. It's a cul-de-sac. It's a dead-end street. Let me tell you where life is. I mean real life. Fulfilled life. Really living. It's in Jesus Christ, folks. Yeah, I almost have to... Yeah, I have to experience that to understand it. It's like if you've never eaten an orange, me eating an orange and trying to describe you, well, it's not like an apple, and it's not like a pear. It's certainly not like a lemon, though that, well, that's not close either, because that's bitter. How do you describe the orange? Unless you've tasted it, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you once tasted it, (laughs) this is good stuff, folks. This is good stuff. So I just want to point out that we've been blessed with everything we need. Paul says it in Ephesians and Colossians, and Peter says it in his second epistle. Now, how should I respond to that? Read verse 5. For this very reason that you've been given everything you need, and he mentions some other things besides that you have, Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Uh, Think of that as a ladder to get to spiritual maturity, and each one of these characteristics is another rung in the ladder. So you have faith, add to that some character. Virtue. And then knowledge. you got to know the book. How many times have I said that? All right. Then to knowledge, self-control. Let me ask you a question. Do you need any self-control? Do you need some of that? If you don't think you need some of that, try recording everything you say for a week. You need control of your tongue, your thoughts, your money, your time. I've gone to preaching. Back to the text. Perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Now that's how we're to respond to all of this. We've been given all these blessings, and now the Lord wants us to add spiritual development. That's all that amounts to. He's not trying to make you more religious. He's trying to make you more spiritual, spiritually mature. Now, go to the end of the book. Look at the last verse. He wants you to grow, and he told you those areas to grow in. And then he says, but grow in grace as well as knowledge. You can't do this without grace. So come boldly to the throne of grace that you might find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 
16. So you say, Lord, you told me to have self-control. Well, I'm having a little bit of trouble with that. Would you mind giving me a little grace and help me with that? You ever prayed about that loose tongue you got? You should. Some of you should. That ought to be your number one prayer this week for some of you. I know I've listened to you. Amen? Amen. All right. You need grace to do this. You can't do it without the Lord. All right. Let's suppose I do that. Let's suppose I start saying these are the, these are the virtues I need to develop in my life. I mean, work on them by grace. Knowledge. You've got to read the Bible more. Self-control. Love. Lord, give me that. Give me that. That's what I want, Lord. That's what I want. Now go back to chapter 1. All right, so what happens if I get it? God's already blessed me with all I need to get it. Now what? Suppose I do it. What do I get? Well, I want you to look at verse 10. Therefore, brethren... Be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. The Greek word translated sure here is the Greek word that's translated confirmed in verse 19. It's the Greek word that is elsewhere. It's translated established. So make this calling and this selection that God affirm and established in your life. For if we do these things, you shall never stumble. So if you do what I'm telling you, and you add these things to your life, you will never stumble in this life. You'll never fall back into sin, because you're going to be so concentrated on loving everybody. Read the next verse. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you add these things to your life, you are going to be better off in this life and you're going to get an abundant entrance into the kingdom of the next life. What does that look like? An abundant entrance? You mean some people, he said if you, if you, you know, some people lack these things. He says that in verse 9. And some people are going to go in, and they're going to be paupers. And some are going to go in abundantly. Some are going to go in and not have anything to take with them. Jesus said in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. That's an abundant entrance. And some people are going to enter heaven with not much luggage to take with them. You know that old slogan, you can't take it with you? Not true. Jesus said you could lay up treasure in heaven. And some people are not going to have much treasure, and other people are going to have lots of treasure. Now, I don't know about you, but I want lots of treasure. Amen? Amen. So here's what I'm telling you. God's already blessed you with every blessing he can give you to make the trip. And if you just start doing what he said, which isn't that difficult, depending on his grace to do it, you are better off now. You get all these blessings, all boiled down to righteousness, wisdom, and love, and you get grace. And on top of all of that, you're better off in the next life. You get an abundant entrance into the kingdom. Now, I started out this message saying, this is a series. I'm going to spend a lot of time in this series explaining something that doesn't get a lot of attention. Abundant entrance into the kingdom. Would you like to know what that looks like very, very specifically? Hang with me. This isn't going to be a long series. only about 270 messages. (laughs) Not even going to be close. But you've got to hang with me. It's very important that we build one upon the other, and I'm going to lay out what the New Testament says about an abundant entrance into the kingdom. 
All right. Um, oh, boy. Uh, I want you to look at verse 8. If these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is it possible to be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Yep, you could uh, trust Christ and uh, not do much with it and not produce much fruit. All right, what does the fruit look like? I want you to turn to one more passage, and with this I close. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And I want you to look at verse 16. He says, this I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the spirit is walking by means of the spirit, which is another way of saying, plead God for his grace. Now drop down to verse 22. But the fruit, ah, you want to be fruitful? You want to be blessed? Here's the blessing. All in one verse. Two verses, actually. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there it is again, self-control. Goodness gracious. Can't get away from it. All right. I want to know. Would you like to live a life full of love? Amen? Amen. Amen. You can say that in this congregation. It's a Baptist church. <laughs> Baptists are allowed. Amen? Amen. Want to live a life full of joy? Amen. How about peace? That's the blessing God will give you if you live by grace. That's the blessing on top of blessing. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And if we simply walk with Him and depend upon Him, we're united to Him, then He just pours blessing upon blessing upon us. He can't bless us enough. And in the New Testament, there are the blessings. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. I don't know about you, but I'd like to have a little bit of that. No, I'd like to have a lot of that. I'm greedy. Amen? All right. I think what I'm about to do is one of the most important series of messages I've ever preached. And I want you here every Sunday. It's going to take, I don't know, I haven't figured it out yet. Uh, I've written it all out. I just haven't figured out how to divide it. Uh, and I want to take my time because I want us to get really get this. So it's going to take me, I don't know, 8 to 10 to 12 messages. Will you hang with me? Yes. I'm talking to the faithful anyway. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is important stuff. I've said several times, uh, I want the blessing of God. Amen? Amen. Amen? I've tried to describe what some of that's like. There's more to come. But I've had this, this has been the deep, deep desire of my soul. I haven't been as consistent with it as I should. None of us are perfect. But from the day I became a Christian, I wanted all the Lord had for me. And I want it real, real bad. So he that hungers and thirsts shall be filled. So I want to know deep down in your soul, is this what you want? And what are you willing to give to get it? Am I coming through? I don't think I'd been saved but a couple of years. 
And this feeling was deep in my soul. I was at a Christian college, and I remember it as if it were last month, standing on a street corner in the center of that campus, talking to a Bible teacher, one of the professors. I hadn't had him as a professor. Matter of fact, I never had him as a professor. I never took any of his classes. We were standing on the street corner, and I was saying to him something like, what do I have to do to be blessed by God? I don't think at that point in my life I, I even remotely understood what that meant or what it was like. But I will never forget what he said to me. He said, Mike, God, God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. Is that true? Is that the God of the Bible? It really is. This is, this is exciting. I want to be blessed of God, but he wants to bless me more than I want to be blessed. So just get under the spigot. You get it? Amen. He blesses people under the spigot. Get under the spigot. So that's what I want to explain to you. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. A holy, righteous, loving, patient, wise God. And Lord, we confess that we just sometimes ignore all that wisdom that you've given to us and think we have a better idea. Lord, teach us the error of our way. Lord, teach us how to be continually, abundantly blessed in this life so that we can have an abundant entrance into the next. In Jesus' name. Amen.